I remember when I was a little kid, my parents had a friend that was getting married and they invited us to the wedding. And it was the first wedding that I had ever been to. I think I was probably four or five years old. I was uh, went to this wedding and so the whole thing was just a, just a new spectacle that I was amazed of. Uh, we had to get dressed up and we had to wear nice clothes. And so that was something that was rare. And so we went to this church and and it was one of the churches in my hometown that kind of set up on a hill. And it was, it was a Catholic church. And so it was that ginormous church. And I'd always wondered what the inside of it looked like. And so I just was amazed at the, at the building and, and just being inside of it. And was just kind of overwhelmed with that spectacle. And it was, it was decorated. And I can remember all of the decorations that were there. And I can remember my mom saying, quiet, 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 a lot. But I remember as I was sitting there and I, we knew the couple, I knew the couple and I can remember uh, seeing him stand up front in his suit and, and he was up there looking and then they started the music and everybody stood up and, and of course this, I wasn't six foot then so I couldn't see very well so I was trying to look and see what everybody was staring at and everybody's eyes were at the back and I can remember when she finally got up to where I could see her she had a veil over her face. And I thought to myself, that's not her. <laughs> that cannot be her. And so came up to the front and it seemed like in my mindset, the whole service, she was veiled. There was, there was nothing that you could see in her. Her gown was, was not quite like Princess Diana, but it was a good she had a good train on the back of it. Uh, and so I just saw a dress standing there is all I could see. Uh, and so it wasn't until he put the ring on her finger and the priest said, I pronounce you husband and wife and you may kiss the bride. And we were sitting on this side. And so the bride side is this side and the groom side is this side. We were sitting on the groom side and so we could see the bride. We were just looking at his back and we could see the bride. And then he lifted the veil and I was so disappointed when it was her. <laughs> I just thought that would have been so cool and they would have been like the ultimate trick. And I thought, man, someday I've got to figure out how to do that. <laughs> we began looking in 2 Corinthians chapter three last week when we were together. Actually, we've been in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is our third week now that we've been in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But Paul began defending himself in chapter 3 against accusations. Uh, these accusations that came against Paul were saying that he was a false teacher. They were saying that what Paul was sharing was not true, that Paul wasn't really a follower of Christ. In his, in his defense, he has identified himself as being a follower of the new covenant. Those who were coming in, these false teachers that were moving into the church, uh, they were promoting the old covenant. And they were sharing that the old covenant and following the old covenant is what is necessary to truly follow Christ. And Paul was proclaiming to them, and he's been explaining to them why the new covenant is far superior to the old covenant. The new covenant is all about Jesus Christ. And the new covenant is all about looking to Christ. Not those dead words, but looking to what Christ has done and looking to 
who Christ is and what he's accomplished. And so Paul continues his explanation here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. And as we look at this section this morning, there are two headings that we're going to look at. We're going to look at the veiled, and we're going to look at the unveiled. And Paul continues to argue this contrast, and he uses this word picture of the veiled and the unveiled as he does this. Now open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, if you're not already there. I'll read it aloud to you, and you can follow along with me. Uh, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Word of God says this, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites may not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Great God in heaven, we're thankful for this morning, grateful for the opportunity to be gathered here over your word and looking into your word. And as your word is open on our laps this morning, I'm so grateful that it's in our own language. So grateful, Father, that as we look into your word this morning, that we can read it for ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that as we read your word, as we look into your word, that you would give us understanding. I pray, Lord, we wouldn't hear the words of of some babbling man, but I pray we would hear from you this morning. So allow your spirit to speak to our hearts. Give us clarity of thought, clarity of mind as we drink in what you have for us. And I pray, Lord, for clarity of mind and clarity of thought as I proclaim to your people your word. We're grateful for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, as we begin diving into this this morning, the first thing we want to look at is the veil in verses 12 through 14. Verse 12 says this, Since we have such a hope. Now, some of your translations have the word therefore there. And as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, we always ask the question, what's the therefore therefore? Uh, Paul has been building his point. Paul has been making his point, and he says, because of my point, this is what we're going to share going forward. This is what I told you, and because of that, this is what we want to have in mind. He says, since we have such a hope, Paul has been laying out for us a comparison of the old and new covenant. That's what he's been laying out for us, and he's been comparing the old covenant with the new covenant. That's what he's been discussing for us, and he's been telling us, that the new covenant is far superior to the old covenant. That's what he has been declaring to us, that it's more glorious. The old covenant he shared last time we were together was nothing more than a ministry of death. It was the law. People were under the law, unable to keep the law, and the law cannot save. So the law is a ministry of death. But the new covenant, the new covenant is a ministry of righteousness. 
the new covenant, because of Jesus Christ, we can be saved. We have the righteousness of Christ in us when we are in Christ. And that's what he's been discussing with us. And if we have this hope in the, in the new covenant, our hope is in a far more glorious covenant. If our hope is in the new covenant, our hope is in the right place. And Paul says, since we have such a hope, such a hope we are very bold. Now, as you think about Paul being bold, he says, therefore, since we have this hope, since we have this hope, this, this new covenant hope, because we have that, we are bold. As you think about this and you think about where Paul is bold at and how, how is his boldness, where is his boldness lie? We look at his relationship with God. Under the old covenant, having access to God was something that was restricted. They didn't have free access to God. They couldn't go into the presence of God. Under the old covenant, only the high priest could go into the presence of God, and he could only do it one time a year. That's the only time that they can go into the presence of God. But under the new covenant, we can go into the presence of God. We as members of the new covenant, those of us who've, who've re recognized Christ and come into the new covenant, we have access to God. And look at this in Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since we have a great high priest, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16 says this, Let us then, with confidence, with boldness, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Paul could be bold because of the new covenant, because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. He could come boldly before the throne of grace and have that access to the throne of grace. So Paul had boldness in that because his hope was in the new covenant. His hope was in Christ. And I think it's hard for us to argue that Paul's boldness was only in his relationship with God. As we look at Paul, we see that his boldness was in his boldness was in the proclamation of the gospel as well. Uh, Paul was able to proclaim with a great boldness the gospel of Jesus Christ. How was he able to proclaim that with such boldness? Because he knew, he knew what Jesus Christ had done. He knew what Jesus Christ had accomplished. And because of that, he had great boldness to be able to go and proclaim, hey, this is what Christ has done for me. This is so amazing. You think about the, the new products that you see on TV, and you see somebody who's a, who's a no-name actor, and they proclaim, the, they proclaim this is the best thing that's been invented since sliced butter. And, and so you think about buying it, but you're like, you know what, I don't even know that actor. How can I trust them? But then your favorite actor comes. And when your favorite actor shows up, you think, wow, maybe since it's my favorite actor, it's okay. Since it's my favorite actor, that's a product that I can get behind. But then your neighbor, the one you know, the one you trust, the one you know, the one you trust looks, and the one you know, the one you trust says, hey, I've used this product, and this product is good. 
because you know them, because you recognize them, because you're, you're, they're your neighbor, you say, that's okay. I'll buy into that product. Paul is proclaiming this boldness. Pa Paul is sharing this boldness because of who God is, because of what Christ has accomplished. He can have that boldness. He has that assurance because of what Christ has done. So he has that boldness. This is Romans 1, verse 16. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice what he says there. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul, as we think about who Paul is, as we think about his ministry going and proclaiming, he definitely was not ashamed of the gospel. His boldness was in the fact of the reality of the gospel message. Not ashamed of the gospel. He would share that gospel to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. He was not ashamed of the gospel. His boldness was in the new covenant. And this is all of a result. This is all the result of Paul being strengthened in his inner man. Because he was growing in his faith because he was growing in his assurance of, the, of Christ and what Christ had done. He had that assurance. This is Ephesians 3, verse 16. It says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Because of the new covenant, Paul had this, had this boldness. Because of the new covenant, Paul could stand boldly and make this proclamation. Now look at verse 13 there. He says, Not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an, to an end. Paul is still using the example that he shared with us about Moses. Remember when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and received the law from God? And anytime he went into the tent to converse with God, went into the presence of God, because he was in the presence of God, his face would glow. The glory of God would, would reflect from Moses' face. And as he would come out and as he would visit with people, they would see that, they would recognize he was in the presence of God, but there would be fear there. So, <clears throat> so Moses would, would cover up his face so that they couldn't see that. And as he was away from God, as he stepped away from God, that glory would fade and they would see that glory fading. So Paul, in his proclamation of that, he would cover his face so they couldn't see that. The glory of Moses' face would fade and the glory of the old covenant also faded away. The glory of the old covenant was veiled. They couldn't see all the glory of the old covenant. Part of it was a mystery to them. They couldn't comprehend it fully because of the veil. Even some of the writers who were inspired by the Holy Spirit as they recorded the Old Testament, as they recorded it, some of them didn't even understand all that they were recording. It was a mystery to them. It was veiled. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Concerning the salvation the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, the Old Testament writers, as they prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searching and inquiring carefully, 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You see, they didn't even fully comprehend everything because it was veiled to them. They couldn't see and understand the new covenant and what lied ahead because of the veil. The passing glory of the old covenant contrasts with the enduring glory of the new covenant. Notice verse 14. It says, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. You see, those who were under the old covenant, their minds were hardened. They were stubborn. The word that's used here means calloused. Remember how that works sometimes when you get those calluses built up? My wife made the comment, I used to work in a steel mill and we made culvert piping. And then I became a Schwann's man and my wife held my hand one time after I became a Schwann's man and she said, I like those Schwann's man hands. <laughs> and I kind of was offended by it. And I said, what does that mean? And she says, man, your hands used to just be so calloused. I, I couldn't even feel your hands. But now that you have that Schwann's man hands, your hands are a lot smoother. And now as a pastor, <laughs> I, I can't even hold those yard work tools. <laughs> I just let her do it. Hey, you know what happens to me when I hold a rake? But that's this word here is that their minds had become calloused. So the things of God, as the things of God were being proclaimed, as the things of Christ were being proclaimed, their minds were calloused to the proclamation of the new covenant. And they rejected the new covenant because their minds were calloused. They were not willing to receive the new covenant. Paul saw how hard their hearts were. Their hearts had become hardened to the scriptures, their hearts had become hardened to the Savior. Jesus had been revealed to the Jews, but the Jews refused to see him as the Messiah, and they rejected him. The same veil was over the hearts of the, of the Judaizers of Paul's day. They were refusing to recognize the new covenant. They refused to recognize who Jesus was. This is Acts 7.51. Peter says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Their hearts are hardened. The veil of Moses was over their heart, and as a result of that, they failed to see Christ. They failed to see that Christ was the fulfillment of the law. They wanted to hold to the law, and they refused to see that Christ fulfilled it. This is 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and a folly to Gentiles. For the Jews, Jesus was a stumbling block. 
The Jews would read the book of Moses instead of seeing Jesus Christ, instead of recognizing Jesus Christ. The veil covered their eyes. The veil covered their hearts. And they did not see Jesus. The Jews developed a Christ rejection religion. That's what they did. The Jews developed that. The Jews practiced that. And they rejected Christ. They did not allow the law to lead them to Jesus. This is Galatians 3, verse 24. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Instead of the law leading them and making them recognize their need for Christ, they looked and they lived under the law and they allowed the law to harden their hearts and they rejected Christ. And those are the ones who live life veiled. They could not see through the veil. They could not understand because of the veil that was over their minds, the veil that was over their hearts. They couldn't see Jesus. They refused Jesus. Now look at verse 16 with me. Look at that first word there. But. Isn't that exciting? We've just heard how these people are trapped under the old covenant, how they have no hope how they are condemned in that, that ministry of death. But this means we're going to head in the opposite direction. That means there's a conjunction. That's a conjunction that says, hey, let's go in a different direction for a while. Paul's talked about the Old Testament, how deadly it is. But, but, don't you love that when someone's telling you a story and it's all droom and dreary and ah, and then they say, but, and you kind of come to the end of your seat. You're kind of excited, ready for that next part. That's what happens here. As Paul has talked about them being blinded, about their eyes being veiled, about them still living under the old covenant, we're going to head in a different direction. Look at verse 16 as it continues. But when one turns to the Lord, this word for turn here is the idea of turning around, heading in one direction and turning around. Turning from something and turning towards something else. That's the idea here. And the idea here is when one turns to the Lord. Now, this is an interesting thought. It's interesting to me. and There's no charge for it if it's not interesting to you. But this word for turns is in aorist tense. In the Greek, it's in the aorist tense. And that means nothing to us except that it happens one time. This Turning to the Lord is not something that happens again and again and again and again and again. This turning to the Lord happens one time. And this turning to the Lord is something that happens one time and it's good. It's a good turn. And it's a turn that when we, once we turn to the Lord, we don't go back because we turn to the Lord. At one point in time, there's a turning to the Lord. And this turning to the Lord is what is needed. This turning to the Lord is what needs to be done. Instead of living under the old covenant and trying to be under the law, what we need to do instead of pursuing that is turn to the Lord. That's what we need to do. Peter told the Jews that's what needed to be done. This is Acts 3, 19. He says, repent, which means whip a U-turn. Repent, therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. 
You see, under the old covenant, under the law, there's no hope for them to achieve and be obedient to the law. Because we are sinners. And as sinners, we are going to sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no hope for us under that old covenant. Instead, we need to turn. We need to whip a U-turn so that our sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed for you. It's Jesus. That's what he's saying. We need to whip a U-turn. Quit our dead works that lead to nothing and turn to Jesus Christ. Paul, as he was speaking to the people of Thessalonica, he spoke to them about the change that has been made in their lives. The church of Thessalonica, and we should do a study through Thessalonians sometime, but the church of Thessalonica was a church that was stooped in idol worship. They were consumed by worshiping idols, and they were dead in their trespasses. And it says in Thessalonians 1.9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You see the U-turn that was made? They were under that old covenant, seeking to do their thing, following idols. Paul came and proclaimed to them the gospel. He proclaimed to them the message of the new covenant, that by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven. They turned from following their idols, and they turned to Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I heard the message. I hear people talking about you. You've turned from those idols, and you've turned to the one true God. And Paul Recognize that. And you know, turning to God is a choice that we as individuals make. Turning to Jesus Christ is something that each of us as individuals, each one of us as individuals have to make. We can't make it for our kids. Our parents can't make it for us. Our grandparents can't make it for us. It's a decision that each of us as individuals have to make. What am I going to do? Am I going to continue to pursue and look to other things? Or am I going to turn to the one true God? Am I going to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's something that each of us has to make. We live life in rebellion against Christ. We're born as rebels. And we live in rebellion. Romans tells us that we're born enemies of God. That means we're opposed to God. All of us are opposed to God when we're born. But there has to be that point. There has to be that time when we make that turn. When we make that turn. I remember when I was in the fourth grade, I remember watching my mom and dad come forward and receive Christ. They recognized their need and they said, you know what, I want to make a U-turn in my life. And they made that U-turn in their life. I remember sitting there and thinking and I was in the front, front row and I can remember our pastor was my uncle and he was proclaiming he was sharing something and I felt like he was just talking to me quit talking to me talk to everybody else but it was there that I realized my need for Jesus Christ I realized that no matter how good I was I couldn't earn it on my own that I needed Christ to to save me to redeem me and I could keep running away from him just doing my own thing but I wasn't going to be rescued if I chose to do that and I needed to make a u-turn and I needed to turn to Jesus Christ and thankfully, I made that U-turn, and I turned to Jesus Christ. And some of you are here today, and you've never made that U-turn. You've never made that U-turn. 
It always scares me when I visit with somebody and, they, and I say, so when did you come to know Christ? Oh, I've always known God. I've always known God. You may have known God. You may have known about God. But we have to make that U-turn and turn to Jesus Christ. We have to recognize that we're sinners, that we're, that we're lost, that our sin, that there's a penalty to be, to be paid for our sin. And we need to recognize that the only way to be rescued is through Jesus Christ. We need to make a U-turn, each one of us. Look at verse 16. It says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When we turn to Christ, the veil is removed. When we turn to Christ, the veil disappears. Eyes are opened. Scales fall off. Remember when Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was a Judaizer, Hebrew among Hebrews. One of the greatest of his time. And everybody was like, man, we need to be like Paul. And Paul was going to Damascus because he wanted to destroy the Christians. He wanted to destroy the church. And he says, as he's on the road to Damascus, he comes face to face with Christ. All those who were with him just heard a loud, loud noise. But Paul saw Jesus Christ and he was blinded. And he went into Damascus. And God spoke to a man named Ananias. And he said, Ananias, this is where Saul is. I want you to go find him. And I want you to tell him that I got a job for him. It says this in Acts 9, verse 17. So Ananias departed and he entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and he was baptized. Saul turned to Christ. His eyes were open. Scales came off his eyes. Saul, who was zealous in opposition of Christ, who was a Judaizer, his eyes were opened. And he became zealous. He became zealous for the things of Christ. And he's the one who turned the world upside down. Notice verse 17. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know, it's just a subtle reminder here that the Holy Spirit is God. The Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Old Covenant put people in bondage, condemned them to death. The New Covenant is what gives freedom. The Holy Spirit brings about this freedom to the repentant sinner, the one who wants to turn. The Holy Spirit touches our hearts, helps us to make that turn, watches us and regenerates us. And that's when we are born again. That's when we head in the direction where we need to go. But it's only through the Holy Spirit that that takes place. It's only when we turn to the Lord that that takes place. It's only when we recognize that the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can save us. That's when that takes place. And that starts a process. Look at verse 18. It says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed into the same image, 
from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When that veil comes off, when that veil comes off, believers see the light. Believers see the light. And when we see the light, that's where it's at. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 says this, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When that veil comes off, transformation begins. And as we progress in that transformation, we begin to go more and more, grow more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then guess what happens? Graduation day comes. And when graduation day comes, whether we pass away from whatever may be in this world or until the Lord returns, when graduation comes, we reach that glorified state when there's no more sin, when, when sin no longer has its hold or has its effect on our body. That's when we graduate. That's when we walk into the presence of God. That's when we get to live in heaven. That's when we get to enjoy all of the glorification, all of the pure glorified parts of who God is. I don't know about you, but I was praying for that this morning. I was ready for it. And it's, what a thing to be looking for is graduation day. I remember when I was in high school, I learned the graduation tune, and I would walk through the halls of our high school, and I would whistle it. I didn't realize that once you graduate, consumers starts mailing you to get on the consumer mailing address. I didn't realize that. But I was looking forward to graduation, and I couldn't wait for it. Uh, when I was in school before that, probably before my sophomore year, didn't care about graduation. But all of a sudden, graduation was a real thing for me, and my mindset was on graduation. As followers of Jesus Christ, as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are representing Christ until graduation day, until God calls us home. And so we need to be looking forward to that, preparing for graduation, so that we're ready to step into the arms of Jesus when we're through with our time here on earth. When that veil comes off, transformation begins and that growth process begins. So there you have it, the veiled and the unveiled. So what do we take home from this? What do we apply to our Sunday afternoon? What do we apply to Monday morning? I think the most important thing that we need to ask ourselves is where is our heart? Where is our heart in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe you're here this morning and your heart has been hardened to Christ. Jesus Christ has been nothing more than just a swear word to you. You do not know anything about Jesus Christ. But maybe God's been working on your heart. And you feel like God may be softening your heart. And, and God may be calling to you right now to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to whip that U-turn. You can keep going in the direction that you're headed, but it's a dead end. It's a dead end. You ever seen that sign that says road closed? And you're like, ah, it's got to be me that gets through because it says road closed to through traffic. But I'm going to be turning pretty soon. And you don't know that two and a half miles and you need to go three miles. So you drive your two and a half miles and you're like, oh, I got to whip a U-turn. Sooner or later, you're going to whip a U-turn. Because the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord. And so it's important that you whip that U-turn now while you have time. And so maybe you're here today 
and you haven't whipped the U-turn, and you've just been blowing through all of those signs that say dead end ahead, whip the U-turn today. Don't go any further. Whip the U-turn today. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and look to him for salvation. Maybe you're here today and you've been putting off that decision. Today is the day of salvation. It's time for you to make that U-turn. Maybe you're here today and you've made that U-turn. You've turned to Christ. But this glorification growth process has been hindered. Maybe there's some sin in your life that you've been hanging on to. Maybe there's some things and some steps of obedience that you haven't taken. And those steps of obedience, when we don't take those, those just hinder our growth. So maybe there's something that you need to set aside today. That, hey, I'm tired of hanging on to that. It's just weighing me down. I want to run the race without being hindered. I want to challenge you today, and I want to encourage you today, in this time that we have, set those things aside. Lay those aside so that you can run the race and not be hindered.